Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. Welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Street Podcast. And as I hinted at the last episode, this is going to be a bit different because, well, we have no challengers to preview. However, we still have four recaps to do. And also, as I mentioned last time, I'm going to talk about the next-gen finals since, you know, in a way, it's a challenger. I mean, in a way, we've been talking about these players either in the 2022 season or in the 2023 season. So uh, next-gen finals, I feel like, should be a topic here as well. Uh, I'm going to do that at the end of the episode, though. Let's uh, let's just begin with the usual, you know, four challengers that we had. Also, um, if you have like any weird sensations, uh, you know, and my voice might sound a little weird, I'm just a bit sick. So um, sorry for that. But of course, uh, it's Monday morning already and I uh, have to record by now. Uh, anyway, uh, we had two challenger 100s, one in Maya, one in Yokaichi. Uh, actually, very strong set of winners this week. I also gained two points. Um, I, I managed to pick two two winners right. Uh, as you might remember, I did that B theme where every single one of my answers started with a B. And I think it's actually no uh, real... Um, like b- Basically, it's no coincidence that I only thought of this theme after the first two peaks. And this first, these first two peaks are the ones that were right. And then the ones that I was just you know trying to find a theme for... These ones were actually wrong. <laughs> and uh, I even said that I was going to pick Kovacevic, uh, if, not, if, if not for the theme. But anyway, uh, let's, let's just get down to Maya first. And we have Nuno Borges claiming the title. Actually, he's third of the year. I kind of forgot about that. I remembered that Phoenix won 75, but he also won Monterey in uh, February. I think as a whole, you know, because we are sort of summing up the seasons for these players, Nuno will be slightly disappointing because it will be slightly disappointed because once he drops down to the IT to the challenger level most of the time he's able to do a lot of impact however um yeah just at the ATP tour I don't think he even made a single quarter final right I think it was just some second round appearances here or there so yeah that's something to definitely work on in 2024 and uh, yeah i have i have to say that's that's really disappointing that he didn't do that but you know still three challengers uh he also made that final in shenzhen where he lost to kovacevic he finishes the year ranked pretty high i mean 66 or or something like that so uh definitely quite good in that regard and when it comes to Maya, this is his hometown event. He always wanted to win this so much and you could see it. It was even blocking him from playing his best tennis on a lot of occasions. And I think especially we need to talk about last year's loss to Neukrist and also two years ago to Blancano in the semis. You know, at, the, at these stages of, the, of these events, he was the major favorite. He was the overwhelming favorite to take the title. Honestly, here, here he was probably the overwhelming favorite to take the title before it, the event even started. But again, there was a match when Nuno was playing very tight and he ran into Vavasori in the quarters who sort of tried to beat him the same way Neukris did last year, 
which was like a combination of slice grinding, of course, a very good slice uh, from Vavasori, and also um, just forehand attacks, I guess, and, you know, closing down the net. And Nuno fell, fell down 2-6, 3-5. So, um, yeah, he was already almost out of it. Vavasori also was fairly low up serving for the match, but then the crowd got to him, he started fighting them, and Borges ended up winning. So after that, he also beat Martino and Per in the final. We're going to chat about Per in a second, but like he didn't really let him feel the nerves that we thought that you know might overcome Nuno uh, once it gets like um, yeah to a pressure to a, a very a high pressure situation in the final. But yeah, Nuno gets that hometown title, and um, you you I lo- I love this because you can really see how much it means to him, right? And uh, and I think that's great. Uh, when uh, when you see that a player is like extremely determined to win a certain event, they finally do it, and um, I think it's it's a very nice way to to finish off his season. Even if, as I said, um, his performance on the ATP tour has been very subpar. Actually, I mean, yeah, most of the time losing in the opening round, sometimes the second round, but no quarterfinal, no third round exit anywhere either in like these bigger draws. So. Um, yeah, mixed bag, but on the challenger level, he was really good, of course. Then let's get to Benoit Per, uh, who, as I said, was the finalist here. And the thing about Benoit Per is that anytime you kind of want to give him a compliment, you know, you want to say that he's so determined recently, and uh, yeah, you appreciate it. He kind of could have like given himself just a fighting chance if he won the final for the Australian Open main draw. In the end, um, definitely not, because he ends the year ranked at like 117. So, you know, it's it's not going to be enough. Clearly, it's not going to clearly it's not going to be enough. But uh, still a pretty solid season and another one of these players who um, sort of showed more ability and, and will to grind than we thought he might. Right. Like Fonini, for example. Per, in fact, I mean, played like 40 events probably this year. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, you know. Uh, I don't know if I can count it really quickly. I I think I actually can. I think it's 36 events this year, something like that. So, no, actually, actually 38. Yeah, I mean, almost 40 events. So he was out there pretty much every week. And, uh, you know, since the pandemic, the the guy's career really uh, fell apart. But now he's actually playing well enough to make you think that he might make it back to the top 100. Obviously, it's not going to happen this year anymore. And uh, yeah, just the performance in the final against Borges was really disappointing. But I guess it's part of the pair experience, right? Sometimes you're going to say, oh my God, he's so focused right now. And then he has a match where, yeah, he just didn't let Nuno feel any nerves. I mean, it was just too easy for Nuno to to have uh, that moment of hesitation, that moment of doubt that has been happening to him in Maya from time to time. Uh, when it comes to Matteo Martino, <coughs> he was actually coming off an interesting run in the French sort of, you know, interclub stuff where he beat a lot of good players like Fies, Bautista, Good. Is that, you know, enough to, to sort of put you in great form here? I don't know, uh, but he certainly was good enough to beat Damas and Matusevic quite easily and did keep it pretty close against Borges. So I think the semi-final here for Martino is, uh, is definitely a decent result, even if he only needed to win two matches because of Fabio Fonini's withdrawal in the second round. I believe as a whole, this was Martino's second challenger semi-final of the season. 
after Ren in September. So, uh, you know, definitely at the, at the end of the year, he managed to uh, get himself closer and closer to a level that maybe in the future will sort of make him uh, look for grandson qualities because he is currently ranked 266. So I think, you know, next year, if he just starts it well, it would be doable for him to uh, make the Ran Garros qualities. But let's see about that. Um, and then Maxime Janvier, <laughs> our favorite player, who um, I said a few weeks ago, I think, that he might be the most underranked guy on the tour currently. And um, this doesn't hold up anymore because he's actually had some very decent results since. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't uh, really make sense anymore because he now has that Malaga semi and now Maya semi and also won an ITF recently, which I think was his first title in seven years. But, uh, yeah, he's back to 258, still lower than uh, what Janvier can play on he, on a peak day. And I think that peak day definitely came here in the quarters against Ramos Vignolas, 6-2, 6-4. And then he loses to Pair, which was an okay showing, and that there's just one regret that he led 5-3 in the third, and uh, sorry, in the second set, and uh, he had a couple of set points even, I think, and then lost the next four games. So easily could have taken it to a decider, but that peak performance against Ramos Vignolas, I mean, that's what Jean-Vier is all about, right? That's why we like watching the guy 10% of the time, maybe, but that 10% of the time is, is actually quite ridiculous. Uh, and then the doubles in Maya, just like last year, were actually quite entertaining because last year, uh, well, no, not as good as in 2022 when we had Borges Cabral against Kashpaten in the final. But still, um, I think even if you, if I read out the semi-final lineups to you, Bortolotti Vavasori against Borges Cabral and Tromboli Valkov against Cornea Oswald, I think that's you know clearly an amazing event and also. Uh, the matches itself, especially the two, um, the bottom half semi, Romboli Valkov beating Korna Oswald, saving many match points, and also the final between Bortolotti and Vavasori had both uh, pairings uh, have a match point before it was finally, uh, before it was finally won by the Italians. I think uh, again Maya delivered, although this time it wasn't the last doubles final of the year because last year we had this situation where. Borges Cabral, Kashpaten were literally the last doubles match of the 2022 Challenger season. This time this went to another event. And uh, yeah, anyway, um, as I said earlier, Nuno Borges was my pick for the title. He ended up doing it, although obviously there was one match where the crowd-inspired comeback was absolutely necessary. <coughs> Let's get to Yokaichi, the other Challenger 100, of course, in Japan ending the four-week Japanese swing, which we had, of Kobe, Matsuyama, Yokaichi, and Yokohama. I didn't say it in the right order, but, you know, doesn't really matter. And Sisu Berks won his third challenger title, beating Michael Moe. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about Zizu for a moment. I think um, it just happens yearly by now that we say, okay, so if he's healthy next year, I think he's getting to the top 100. And he's not doing it, but he's also not healthy, right? I mean, his season was also a stop start. There was that period of like three months as well when he only played slice backhands. Well, three months maybe is a stretch because he wasn't playing for like a month. Then he was trying to play his slice back, his backhand only slice for like two. But anyway, I mean, he has just had a ridiculous November, winning Drummondville and winning Yokaichi. So I think next year is when Zizou Berks finally does it. I, I, I do think so, really. <clears throat> just because his starting position for 2024 seems really good. 
Uh, he's defending, of course, that Tallahassee title in April, but otherwise really not that much until then. So generally, you know, just needs to be really solid in the first few months. And it's very doable for him. He ends the year ranked in the top 130, I think. I think even, yeah, 129, uh, which is currently about 130 points away from the top 100. I really think he will do it next year. And um, yeah, when it comes to him, I think uh, it's just clear that the past two seasons, he's had the top 100 highlights because let's say, I mean, let's just, you know, winning three challenger titles in a year, that's enough. In 2022, I think he also had uh, one title and three finals or something like that. And uh, he just doesn't have the middle ground so far due to inconsistency, injuries. But as I said, this is a great way to end the season. And uh, he beat Chalik like Uchida, Trotter, Polmans, and then Mo. Really good showing against Michael in the final, you know, choosing his spots to attack very wisely, which, of course, you need to do against Mo, someone who can grind you down. And um, yeah, you gotta sort of just not overhit and wait for a good opportunity to... Um, be aggressive, which I think Zizou did very, very well in the final. And then also Michael Moe, uh, who actually uh, was fighting in that final for a top 100 finish and was fighting for the Australian Open main draw. As things stand, he's going to end the year at 105. Is that enough for the Australian Open main draw? I think with the amount of protected rankings we are expecting, very likely no. However, after the withdrawals, who knows? I mean, literally, we have no idea. So, uh, yeah, let's see how that come, uh, sort of pans out. But still, I think Michael, after the uh, recent sort of uh, flop that he had in the US Challengers in Charlottesville and Knoxville, the Japanese swing actually went very well for him. I mean, he makes the semis in Yokohama. He makes the final in Yokaichi. He loses to Watanuki and, Bor- and Bergs, the two winners of the of their respective events. So... Yeah, I think Mo did enough to keep himself in the conversation, but of course, just one more win would have given him. Uh, uh, basically, you know, he he would have been secure with one more win. So from that perspective, uh, that's uh, definitely a, a chance missed. However, uh, let's be honest: if it wasn't for the four months almost that Michael Mo missed between Acapulco and Wimbledon, I mean, he played two matches in the meantime at the French and th- the Challenger and Tyler, but didn't win a match. But like, if it wasn't for the four ma- four months where he basically wasn't gaining any points, he would have been in the top 100 easily. And you know, a healthy Michael Mo right now is the best Michael Mo we've ever seen. So uh, similarly to Borks, uh, to Borks, oh, Jesus, I, I sort of made the uh, connection with uh, Borges and Bergs for some reason. Similarly to Bergs, and uh, he he sort of had the top 100 highlights, but for mostly injury, mostly health issues, wasn't able to get that top 100 finish and will now sort of sit down and bite his nails while he's waiting for players to withdraw from the to withdraw from Melbourne. Um, also, we had Coleman Wong and Mark Polmans in the semifinals. Coleman Wong, of course, recently uh, a real, real breakthrough. I absolutely love how he's been playing. And um, actually, the semifinals against Michael Moe, he didn't come close. But I think this is a guy who could be, the, you know, one of the contenders to keep rising in 2024. Uh, this week he had another one of his famous roller coaster matches with August Holmgren in the quarterfinals and also against uh, Naomi Nakagawa in the opening round. 
But eventually, you know, still a decent week for him. He didn't quite do enough to make the Australian Open qualities. I don't think 252. But I think, uh, yeah, by the time, by the French Open next year, it's very likely that he will get there. And then we also had Mark Polmans, who I think just had a pretty solid run, his best of the Japanese swing. Uh, he previously had a quarterfinal in uh, Kobe. Uh, but here he, he sort of had a really nice draw to the semis. He converted that, but then couldn't beat Zizou Berks in the semis. Not much else to say, really. Of course, he's easily in the in the top uh, in the qualifying because he's about 150 in the rankings at the moment but um yeah i i think this season as a whole you know because in 2022 of course he was coming back after an injury so uh we sort of just had the idea that he's probably going to be back in the top 200 very quickly this season was like more stability for Polmans and of course finally he was able to play the whole year without any problems really but I think it kind of shows us that producing a top 100 campaign will be really tough for Mark. Because, uh, well, he's had some good results, of course, Guangzhou final, Sydney final, but these are all in these sort of weaker challenger venues, right? And uh, yeah, I think to go from where he is right now to the top 100, that could be really hard for the Aussie. But anyway... Uh, and in the doubles tight in the doubles in Yokaichi, we had uh, even King and Reese Stolder win the title over Ho and Paragil. And actually, King and St- King uh, right now has eight challenger doubles titles this year, and so does uh, Dan Aded. So they actually uh, end the tight end the year as the leaders in terms of that. Seven of these titles King won with Stolder, whereas one he also won with Brandon Nakashima. Uh, Aded has a more sort of diversified partner structure, let's say. He won four with Albano Olivetti and also won each with four other Frenchmen. Let's get to Temuco, where we had another challenger 75. And as I, I, I even said it last time that I'm picking Barrios Vera because of the, um, well, because of the uh, theme that I came up with, you know, players with B. But I actually would have gone Kovacevic if it, if that wasn't the case. So, you know, I could have gone three out of four here. But anyway, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Alexander Kovacevic claims his fourth challenger title. It's not enough to break the top 100. Uh, he needed a bigger result in Brasilia last week in order for that to happen. But it's still, you know, it, it saves his trip to South America at least. And it actually was really close for him to even go out in the opening round. As Federico Agustin Gomez, uh, when he was two points away from winning the match, misses the most simple passing shot into the open court. Of course, Kovacevic ends up winning the match and actually ends up winning the title as well. Uh, Temuco wasn't as fast as Brasilia, but still it's a bit of altitude and his backhand really didn't enjoy the conditions. You know, it, it wasn't as bad as against Fonseca where like any serve to the backhand or any any prob- uh, like um, attempt to slice or any block return was going out. It was a little better in Temuco for sure. Uh, but overall, I think Kova was just serving better than, than his opponents and simply had more class than them for the most part. And eventually he beats Villanueva, Rodriguez Taverna, Vashro and Gilbert Clear Jr. in the final. 
Uh, the final, he actually lost the first set in. He also lost the first set against Gomez and Vachero. But in the final, he sort of, over time, started getting some better rhythm on return and also being able to slice to get back into the rallies. And that really allowed him to extract some errors from Clear Jr. Uh, it's it's kind of funny how many challenger titles this year Kovacevic won like that, you know? Not by sort of attacking and his forehand shot making, but actually by being able to slice, reset the rallies and get some errors. I mean, at least against Wu, at least against Borges and now against Clear Jr., right? Uh, but anyway, yeah, four challenger titles for Kova, but it's not a top 100 campaign. Uh, the period in the spring where he didn't win a match for three months pretty much cost him that top 100 finish. Someone made the argument on Twitter uh, in my comments that he should have played the South Korean swing instead of clay. Well, in hindsight, probably yes, but at the same time, I think it's clear what Alex was going for, right? I mean, he was simply trying to uh, sort of work more long-term and get more comfortable on clay. Did it end up working out? Definitely not. Um, the The problem for him next year is that he's defending these two challenger titles very quickly, right? Waco, uh, beginning of March, well, sort of, yeah, Mar- beginning of March, Cleveland, beginning of February, so... It's not a given at all that he breaks the top 100 next year. If he does, it's not really well. Maybe maybe he does it in January if he has if he wins the title or something. That's possible, of course. But later on, if he does, it's gonna have to be like more results rather than just basing it on the things he did in 2023, right? Uh, but yeah, the, the spring, of course, he's not defending anything there. So maybe with some different scheduling, he can still do it. Anyway, Gilbert Clear Jr., the finalist, a little bit of a surprise, I guess. But, you know, let's remember that Clear Jr. was uh, the fo- was a number five in juniors. And actually before the doping ban that he had, like, a couple of years ago, was it one year ago? I think it was maybe one year ago. He was considered uh, a pretty solid prospect. So, I, you know, it's good to see him back on track. Uh, by the way, the doping case was a contaminated supplement and like the ITF, as usual, actually in these cases, said that he bears no significant fault, but still decided to punish him because, you know, in Brazil, um, in South America in general, there's been a lot of these cases recently. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they still punished him for that. Uh, 12 months, I think, was his was his ban. So basically he started the year, uh, the 2023 season in June. And actually pulled off a very impressive win rate, 49-16. That includes, of course, a lot of ITF results, including two titles. In Challengers, he kind of had good matches against quality players, but no actual runs. He was also blown to like he was also like blown to shreds a few times by um, Andreozzi, by Delian, but also against Barrios Vera in Bogota, he pushed him. He had a good one against Tirante in Brasilia. I mean, a decent one, I guess. But yeah, this was actually his first uh, Challenger quarterfinal, even. And of course, the biggest win probably was the semifinal against Barrios Vera, where he beats him 6-4-6-3. The Chilean just looked really rushed throughout. And yeah, Clear Junior, I mean, on on the Temuco courts, he definitely found himself very comfortable. Might be a little disappointed not to win the final, but then again, he lost to probably the best hard quarter in the field. I think that's that's fair to say that, right, about Kova. Um, anyway, the semi-finalist, Valentin Vachero. Um, I think, you know, obviously he's been a bit underrated, I think, and 
in the long run, he probably will have some sort of long-term challenger impact as well. Uh, not enough to make Grand Slam qualities this round, but maybe in the future. I mean, he is currently ranked 279, so definitely should be in the conversation. Did he have any impressive wins? Uh, I mean, Gustavo Haider in altitude, maybe. Ayeni in the quarters, maybe. But then after winning the first set against Kovacevic, he was outplayed pretty clearly in the next two. Um, the other semifinalist, though, Tomas Barrios Vera. This is a story, of course, because uh, he was actually playing for a top 100 debut in the semis. And he ends the year at 103. Is that going to be enough for Australian Open main draw? Who the hell knows? When it comes to Barrios Vera's chances to get to the top 100 next year, I mean, he's defending a title, uh, sorry, a final in Piracicaba in uh, January already. And then there's also the ATP Tour quarterfinal in Cordoba. So I think it's actually very likely that he doesn't break the top 100 and, and, and sort of has this career high of like 103 or something like that. Uh, of course, he wasn't really in the conversation this year, but that's mostly because he missed half a year in 2022, you know? And who could have predicted that he comes back in such good form? And uh, yeah, actually, he, he did return in extremely good shape. But then I think he really got tight after Wimbledon, you know? Um, the thing about this Temuco draw, uh, that it, it, it seemed like a perfect opportunity because his draw was just, wow. I mean, Fernandez, Flores, Soto and Bicknell to get to the semis. Bicknell, actually, as a college player, I think Bicknell was pretty tough. And then also Clear Jr. in that final, you know, deciding match. So, yeah, that, that suboptimal showing that he had in the semis. Was it mental? Was it physical? Who the hell knows? But um, certainly uh, a very disappointing for him to miss out in that one, you know, match for the top 100 for the Australian Open main draw. Will he make the Australian Open main draw after the withdrawals? I mean, we have to wait and see. Um, a pretty high number of protected rankings is expected, so it's possible that 103 might not be enough. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the doubles in Temuco, this was actually the last uh, challenger doubles match of the uh, season. And we had Mateusz Alves and Matthias Soto beating Alexander Kovacevic and Kigan Smith. Kovacevic actually also reached the final. And it was played on Sunday due to rain on Saturday. So, um, yeah, that's why it was... Well, it, it would have been the last doubles match of the season anyway. Because Temuko was, of course, in a sort of... Um, in, a ta in a different time zone to Yokaichi Mas Maya and Maspalomas. In a, in a time zone that's more, more further, uh, you know, into the day. But, um, yeah... Uh, still, that was that was the last challenger double challenger match of the year this time, even because of course Kovacevic had to play his singles final first, and then uh, there was a bit of rest and the doubles final. And uh, yeah, let's also let's get to the last one, which was Mas Palomas, and we had Pedro Martinez claiming the title over the 18-year-old Kilian Feldbausch. So what a breakout run! But let's start from Martinez, who actually is on an 11-match win streak right now. He won Brest, uh, we remember that because it was the indoor hard title that everyone was like, what? Pedro Martinez won an, won an indoor hard title? What are you talking about? And then uh, he also played Valencia. He withdrew before the second round due to personal reasons. I don't know what that was, but uh, he beat Elias Emer and then withdrew before the second round. And then he goes to Maspalomas and wins the title. Uh, two long battles, very good matches against Misolic and Feldbausch. I think especially in the final, he was able to stand up to Feldbausch with that heavy forehand of his in a way that, uh, yeah, the other opponents couldn't and were like more overwhelmed by the aggression. 
So uh, the experience, you know, that he has probably also helping him out. So Pedro Martinez ends the year like that. Again, not enough to, ma- to make the top 100, but is it enough to make the Australian Open main draw at 106? My gut says no because of the high number of protected rankings we're expecting. But yeah, it's not clear. It's, it's not clear. I mean, we, we'll have to wait and see. Then we have the aforementioned Kilian Feldbosch. The um, well, a great junior. Uh, we had him last year doing that. Uh, well, producing that uh, Mark Andrea Hisler upset at one of the Swiss indoor challengers, which was really good. I think it was clear that his serve and his forehand were gonna were gonna be huge threats. And he actually has been somewhat unlucky recently on the challenger tour because let's just look at his last three first rounds, and he literally played Pirosh, Galan, and Darderi, and all of these matches were in three sets. Uh, even his last two ATP, uh, sorry, ITF appearances before the win streak that he was on now, he uh, played Stoder in the second round and Oliveira in the corners. So, I mean, yeah, really tough draws, even at the ITF level. And uh, then he wins his maiden pro title at 15k Boca Raton on green clay in November. And then he goes to Maspalomas. And by the time he is in the final, he's actually on an 11 match win streak. So an 11 match win streak of Martinez snapped the 11 match win streak of Feldbausch. Uh, and yeah, the, the impressive performances. I mean, he beats Krutek from a set down. He beats Rincon in the semis uh, very easily. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a ridiculous run for Feldbausch, who now has to be considered like one of the potential breakthrough players in 2024. And also the fact that he was able to pull it off on clay, you know, because watching him a bit in juniors and also in this in these Swiss challengers, I always sort of considered him more as a, uh, yeah, as a potential indoor hard breakthrough. But apparently that's not what not what he's going for. You know, this year he played 39 matches on clay compared to 45 on, uh, you know, overall. So, yeah, he actually did not play a single indoor uh, match this year. Uh, yeah, which is pretty surprising to me, given how uh, yeah how well he played in that Biel run in 2022, beating Huster and then losing to Horajski in a good match. Horajski, by the way, he's been out for a while, but you know that's a topic for another day. Uh, Filip Misolic, semi-finalist. Um, I think he did perfectly fine. He lost a tight match to uh, Pedro Martinez earlier, beat Squire, Campagnoli, and Andreev. So obviously a very strong uh, route as well. I think compared to most of the draw in Maspalomas, he had a very tough set of opponents. And uh, yeah, maybe pretty surprising even to see him play this because, well, he was out for a month after Vienna. He plays one random challenger at the end of the year. But well, he, he got to the semis. So uh, I think he sort of, you know, did what was expected from him for sure. And uh, someone who also kind of did what was expecting from him, I guess, because he's been pulling it off a lot of times this year, is Daniel Rincon, who made yet another semi-final. Uh, how many has it been? Uh, let me quickly count and tell you. I think it was five. Yeah, and all of these semi-finals at the challenger level would be from July onwards. So if you look at it this way, a pretty impressive season. He's obviously in the top 200 by now. And yeah, he beat Foraytek in the quarters, by the way. A uh, small mention to Foretek, who finally seems to be recovering some of that fire in his forehand that he lost with the injuries uh, in the fi- first qualifying round. He actually saved five match points and then could have beaten Rincon. It was a pretty good match in the quarters. And then, uh, yeah, just, just Rincon probably has to be a bit disappointed with the fact that he lost to Feldbausch so easily. And it's been a little bit of a theme for his semis. 
I mean, he, he won sets against Nagal and Munar, but against Munar he won three games in the last two sets, and against Nagal he won five. So, uh, yeah, also easier losses with Gasquet, Medjedovic, uh, Feldbausch. But I guess the caliber of opposition he's been facing in these semis, it's also been pretty high, right? Gasquet, Munar, Medjedovic, Nagal, and also uh, Feldbausch now, who, well, in the future might be uh, a very good player. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a clear sort of thing that Rinkoli will try to improve, right? I mean, get his first challenger final next year. And, uh, yeah, and when it comes to the doubles in Las Palomas... Oh, by the way, my, my pick for the title was Brancaccio, which did not work out at all. And there was actually a pretty big story here in uh, Mas Palomas when it comes to the doubles, because we had Scott Duncan and Marcus Willis win the title. Marcus Willis, the legend of 2016 Wimbledon fame. You all know him, of course, from the Ferrier match and the Cinderella story he had there, and also the uh, probably the 2014 American Challenger match where he was eating a Snickers or a Mars bar and drinking an RV Coke during a changeover. Uh, he's got back to grinding the tour, uh, let's say last summer, and most of the time playing with Scott Duncan. And he's actually in the top 200 in doubles now. Over the course of his career, he has produced 36 ITF doubles titles. And now he has a challenger as well. So that's why it's such a big story, you know. And also to get it on clay, I wasn't expecting that. And the set of opponents they had to beat was, was really tough. Uh, maybe not the first round, maybe not the second, but uh, quarter, about semi-finals, they beat Nelu Hezian and Prasan. And in the final, they beat Aribaja and Dunga. So, yeah, quite a run for, for Marcus Willis, and I absolutely uh, love that story from, from Mas Palomas this week. And, uh, yeah, let's get to our last match and upset of the week this season. Let's start with uh, match. As usual, I had the poll out on Twitter. Let me tell you what's leading. And what's leading there is actually Borges Vavasori. Uh, so in this case, it wasn't uh, the usual sort of finals boost that Marti that I thought Martinez and Feldbausch might uh, get. Uh, what do I want to choose? I, I might go Kovacevic Gomez, actually. It was a fun mess. Um, Federico Agustin Gomez sometimes just bashes the ball and it's a little amusing, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, even though Kovacevic back end wasn't holding up at all. But the three tie breaks, I enjoyed that probably more than Borges Vavasori. Although, now actually, let's go for Borges Vavasori as well. I mean, the crowd in that one and the drama involved with, with Vavasori when he really started fighting them, that was, well, I don't want to say really cool, but that was certainly entertaining as hell. When it comes to upset of the week, Jean-Vier uh, over Ramos Vignolas, honestly, I kind of expected that. I have proof of that. I, I texted that to a, a certain friend of mine. Uh, that Jean-Vier might, might beat Ramos Vignolas on the peak day, so I can't really pick it, I think. Francisco Rocha beating Bonadio. I mean, Bonadio has been in terrible form, but that was still a pretty big upset, I'd say. Um, was there anything crazy in Yokaichi? Fonio beating Watanuki. Yeah, but then again, Fonio is underrated, and Watanuki uh, coming off a title, you know, he was always going to be, like, a little vulnerable, at least. Uh, oh, Rei Sakamoto beating Rodionov. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to go for that, actually. Yeah, Rei Sakamoto, one of the best juniors in the world, 17-year-old. Uh, he beats um, Yuri Rodionov in the first round at uh, Yokaichi. Unfortunately, I only caught it like some games on replay, and then he didn't threaten Coleman Wong. But of course, Sakamoto has been sort of a name that's been 
uh, you know, in the conversation for a while because he was, I think, one of his, uh, like in, in his birth year, he was one of the first players to sort of blossom and uh, yeah, have, have solid ITF runs. So um, yeah, I, I, I think that Rei Sakamoto beating Ruri Andrelov, it must be that. Uh, odds were about 10 on the win, which is crazy considering Rodionov's sort of inconsistency, but at the same time, you know, it, it definitely had to be really, really high anyway. As a whole, this Rodionov Japanese swing didn't really work out for him. Quarterfinal in Kobe, but then two first round exits, but well, uh, obviously he's he, he broke the top 100 this year, but it was just for like a weekend. His current high is 100, literally. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get to the next gen finals then. We'll just chat about the results of that for a few minutes and then I'll let you guys go. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that now. I think we might just talk about every single player, you know, for, for about a minute. Why not? So, uh, Hamad Medjedovic, of course, won the title. And I think it was a ridiculous showing from Hamad. I, before the event, I was sort of of the opinion that, well, Fis is kind of in his own league. But then, well, not in terms of this event, but like in terms of long-term prospects. And then you have probably Medjedovic as like the other player who can have constant presence at the top of the sport. And Stryker as the player who sort of um, has has a similar range of talent, but he might have issues, you know, repeating it, let's say that. Um, So as a whole, though... I have to say that uh, Medvedevich was Medvedevich was actually really impressive and just makes me believe in that even more right now. You know, believe that he he will have that sort of talent and that he will be um, a more constant pressure on the top uh, presence. Sorry, he was absolutely ridiculous. I think for the most part he was mostly battling his own mental demons, and um, yeah, I think that that's that's something that was really key for him to overcome that because recently he's had a number of close losses. He's had a number of tight battles that he lost, and uh, yeah, to to win this title right now, I think it was extremely vital for him. Given that even in the final, you know, he lost two tie breaks where I think only the first one was a big choke. The second one was you know, more acceptable, but still to bounce back from that. That's something he hasn't been doing recently. You know, Medjedovic literally entered this event on a streak of like, in his last five losses, I think four of them were in deciding set tie breaks. So uh, yeah, to pull it off is ridiculous. And I think he really um, should get more recognition now other than the Djokovic story, because for now, I think that's what people mostly recognized him for. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love this run from from Hamad, and it it makes me even more confident and uh, more excited for his 2024. Fields, you know, didn't do anything wrong, but um, he lost in the final. Um, at first, I think against Nardi, he was a little disengaged, but he got himself going. He he was pumping himself up, won that match. He was also undefeated on the way to the final, just like Medvedevich. So I think you know, not nothing we really learned about his progress. I think uh, feels, you know, next year he has a bit of points to defend in the first half for sure, but probably we'll have some sort of uh, upward trajectory still from him in terms of the rankings, in terms of big runs at the slams, ATP 1000, something he didn't really pull off in 2022, sorry, 2023. So yeah, nothing there really. Stryker was like a bit of a mixed bag, but also he was injured against Koboli. Uh, he had that bandaged thigh. He couldn't really move uh, in either direction, like very dynamically. So after that, to still win a match, to still get out of groups was already good. But then of course he 
uh, retires against uh, Medvedovic. Yeah, as I said earlier, I mean, a player with incredible potential. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to do it consistently. Just like Fis and Medvedovic look like they, they, they should be able to do without much of a problem. But, uh, you know, his talent is on par with them, for sure. Vanash, honestly, I wasn't too um, impressed with his run, even though he made the semis. Um, when uh, when he played Fis in the, in the final four, he was like... More steady for sure, but when Arthur picked it up, when he had these five ten minute bursts, spurts of increased intensity, he couldn't really keep up. So I think Vanash sort of showed us what we were, what we already knew about him, that on the main tour for now he is sort of not really a threat. And uh, yeah, he 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 is of course really good. He is mature for his age, but I wonder if he's still gonna be mature for his age in two years time. That that's basically my my problem, and I think you know he he wasn't ever really a threat to win this title for me. Like I thought he might make the semis. Obviously, it's something he can do. But beating both Fields and then Medvedevich or Striker back to back, like that's something that seems a little out of his range. And when it comes to the guys who didn't make the groups, uh, who didn't um, leave uh, exit the group stage, Koboli and Nardi. Uh, mixed feelings for sure. I mean, Koboli played great against Stricker, but also was helped by that uh, health issue that Dom had, which I mentioned. Uh, then he gets crushed by Fields. I mean, more so in line with what I expected. And he loses to Nardi, which was a pretty good match in a fifth set tiebreak. I think for Koboli, that's still a decent showing compared to the expectations regarding him before this event. Whereas Nardi, uh, yeah, personally, I, I, I think he has reasons to be a little disappointed, especially because of that 54-minute match against uh, Stryker, the shortest ever match in the history of next-gen finals, you know, having beaten him in Bratislava and the way his backhand just looked really in inadequate against a powerful lefty. That's not amazing. And then the red group, um, Abdullah Shelbaich did very well. I said I was expecting him to... Uh, get eliminated with a known 0-3 record. That's exactly what happened. But to be fair, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect him to be so competitive in every match, uh, which is amazing for him. You know, I, I don't think he's going to like break the top 100 next year, but um, well, it might take him a little while longer, but he, he did show that against uh, like on a slower indoor hardcourt surface against players like this, he can easily hold up. And, you know, these guys will be occupying spots on the main tour in a, in a few years. So, uh, yeah, I think that's only really a positive for Abdullah. Mickelson is the disappointment of the event for sure. Uh, we sort of didn't know what to think about him because he was mostly playing in these stale fields in the States. And yeah, and uh, he shows up here. He has a few moments of brilliance. I still remember that rebreak in the second set against Medvedovic. But as a whole, you still have to say that his event and especially the way his athleticism was exposed was kind of subpar. Of course, he didn't end up winning a match, uh, the only player in the whole field not to do so. Um, I got kind of convinced recently by on the Great Shot podcast episode that you might have heard uh, that I recorded with Alex uh, last week that, well, he kind of convinced me to wait for him a little bit more. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the uh, especially against Medvedovic, you know, when, when Hamad was blasting returns down the middle and Alex just looked really slow, couldn't get out of it in time. Yeah, it wasn't a great showing. Let, let's let's not uh, write off the guy, obviously, but the next-gen finals didn't work out for him. Definitely not. 
And yeah, that's gonna be it for today then. Uh, thank you guys for your attention. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the whole year. But of course, it's not the end of the Challenger show. We have three weeks, which we have to sort of cover without any reviews or previews. Uh, I'm gonna do something about that. Um, I don't wanna tell you yet what exactly it's going to be because, well, the plans aren't finalized. Uh, but surely there's going to be some sort of season reviewing over the next three weeks on the Monday episode of the Great Show podcast, on the Challenger Tour podcast, however you want to call it. And um, yeah, uh, again, thank you. And um, thank you to all to the people who sent me their Spotify wraps. Uh, I have no idea how you managed to listen to 3,000 or 4,000 minutes of this a year. But well, uh, I'm glad that I was able to give you some sort of entertainment. And uh, yeah, I've also been really entertained by this. Um, we've managed to keep keep the show going as well after, of course, Jakub's untimely passing. And um, yeah, I I, I think um, there's all the more reasons to keep this going. And uh, and yeah, I'm I'm still having a lot of fun enjoy doing this for sure. Even if I'm sick like today, <laughs> I had to stop a few times. You're not gonna hear it, but I had to stop a few times to to grab a Kleenex or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening as usual. And I'll see you in seven days for the first off-season episode of this show. Um, bye.